0: Good morning. We believe that uh, offering here at Lake Point Church, our time and offering, is a, just a continuation of the worship. You know, we, this whole thing that we just got through doing was a uh, corporate worship, and it was just singing. But worship can be lots of different things. And in fact, in uh, the first part of uh, Romans chapter 12, it talks about let your life Uh, be your worship. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. So even uh, what we live our lives, Monday through Friday, uh, is an act of worship. And how we act and how we treat others is uh, is an outward expression of what God is doing in our heart. Well, uh, I just want to say that you guys are here today for a purpose and for a reason. Cliff just got through sharing it with you. But I believe that God has got us on a road to grace uh, as he prepares in our hearts for Easter. Now, as you know, Easter is um, a a huge celebration uh, for the body of Christ. And, uh, And so we don't take that lightly. We know that there's lots of people that will come to church on Easter. And, uh, and, and you might be, uh, you know, some of those people. You might be saying, you know, I'm just kind of coming around here, kind of getting close to Easter, and that's cool, and that's everything. Maybe you are sitting here, and you used to be uh, sort of maybe those CNO, CEOs, those, those Christmas and Easter only uh, sort of attenders, all right, those CEOs and then, But now you find yourself just being attracted to what God is doing in your heart And you're here, you're getting in, involved in what God is doing uh, In this road to grace, we're here in week two And basically I felt led by, by God, by the Holy Spirit As I spent some time with Him to walk down this road of grace uh, and, uh, and so last week we, uh, we sh- I shared with you um, about a story about grace, about how God stoops, because God does stoop, as we have found in the story of the woman caught in adultery. This woman was brought to him by the teachers of the law and by the Pharisees, and they wanted to trap Jesus, and they put this woman right in the middle of the temple when Jesus was teaching some of his followers, and the teachers was like, all right, Law of Moses said we got a stone here. What do you say? What say you, Jesus? And uh, of course, Jesus said very little in that. In fact, he he wrote, probably wrote more in the dirt there on the ground than what he actually said uh, to to this uh, to this woman and also to the crowd and to uh, those teachers. And so, but we find is that God stoops. Jesus, as a form of God, God in the flesh, he stooped down to the level of the woman, even lower, wrote in the dirt. And it's the only sermon he ever wrote, okay? Didn't write any others. And so he stooped down to her level. He says, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. As big stones begin to drop, thud, thud, thud. And to all that's left was just a circle of stones. And Jesus said to the woman, where are your accusers? Where are your accusers? accusers because I, I don't accuse you now go and sin no more you know, jesus proved right there that that he is he is our advocate not our accuser see when you and i sin we could we could do lots of things with that we can ignore that sin and just sort of let go through life with that sin just sort of in the back of our minds are hidden away, tucked in our heart, and we can walk through this life with that sin, and we can let the condemnation of sin by the accusers. But the great accuser is Satan himself. We we've all had the great accuser give us thoughts in our mind, uh, haunt us at night, keep us up at night by. Our, our, our past, by our sin, by our shame. And so if we're listening to our accuser, our accuser is there with condemnation. Condemnation leads to regret. And you try to make up that regret by doing good things, and you realize those good things are very shallow. We talked about that in, a, in our last sermon series called Starting Over, Living with Beyond Regrets. But Jesus is quite opposite. Jesus is there as our advocate and instead of condemnation because makes it very clear I did not come into the world to condemn the world but so the world might be saved. That's John 3:17. I didn't come into the world to condemn. Now so what Jesus does as an advocate and as the Holy Spirit does he provides conviction. Now conviction is different from condemnation. Condemnation Tells you how sorry of a person you are. That's what condemnation does. And put sin and puts shame on you and regret. Conviction is a little check in your spirit or your heart saying, uh that was wrong. You're not a you're not a bad, shameful, stupid, idiot person. Just made a mistake. And so that is conviction. And so Jesus, with the story of the, of the uh, woman who called it an adultery, he did not hide her sin. He said, go and sin no more. There's sin. And so there's conviction that goes into her heart. And then so what conviction does, it leads to confession and repentance. See, that's how you and I can deal with the sin in our life. We confess that sin to the only one who can forgive of that sin because of his sacrifice on the cross. And then we repent of that, we walk away, we turn away a life opposite of that life of sin. And then that accuser, I mean, that, uh, that accuser is silent, but our advocate walks with us. And so, but Jesus showed that God can stoop and he will stoop into uh, where we are. So this week I want to talk about on this road to grace when God steps in. The God who steps in. You and I will uh, will make some mistakes. You know, there there are there are sins that you and I um, don't even know we're gonna commit. But God knows. He holds time in his hand, he's already there. And the amazing thing about it, he's already forgiven you. He's already forgiven you. Father, forgive them of their sins. As he was hanging on the cross, even before you and I were on this earth, Jesus sacrificed his life and offered forgiveness. Now, obviously, we have a part in to believe in that sacrifice and accept him as Lord and Savior, give our life to him, Follow after him, confess our sin, and try to live a righteous life. Even though we trip up every now and then, we get back up, confess, and say, Lord, I know I'm saved, and I'm walking, walking on, and I'm I'm trying to live for you. But Jesus has already offered that forgiveness of your sin on the cross. So there are some things that God knows that we're going to do. God knows our actions even before we commit them. Um, and stepping in at just the right moment to show his grace. So last week talked about, again, sin was committed. Jesus knows about it. He's not there as an accuser, but as an advocate, recognizes the sin, and encourages and empowers her and us to live a life without sin. Go and sin no more. This week... It's all about before we make that act of sin. Before we actually do the act. There was a movie that came out several years ago. And uh, you may have seen it. starring Tom Cruise. It's called Minority Report. And uh, it's a great movie. Great storyline. And uh, this Minority Report, it was set in the year 2054. And uh, in this movie... It talks about um, a, a crime unit that was put together based upon uh, three individuals, sort of superhuman individuals who could look into the future. And, and they were called Precox. And so these, uh, these three individuals, they were kind of hooked up to monitoring systems and whatever they could see uh, acts of violence and, um and crimes that could happen even before they would happen just to see it to the future a few moments before it happened and so the pre-crime division that the character of Tom Cruise played of uh, their job was to uh, take what was on the screens the monitors from these uh from these precogs and to try to find with the clues where the crime was was going to take place. Very interesting movie. And with that, uh, they were able to, uh, in most cases, be able to identify uh, where the crime would take place, and they would just have a few moments to helicopter in and uh, and rappel down and barge in to where the crime is going to happen and prevent it from happening before it takes place. All about pre-crime. Very fascinating movie. Well, before this movie came out, <laughs> Jesus actually used pre-crime himself. So this whole idea of pre-crime is not something new in this fictitious movie, but it's something that, uh, that Jesus actually used, and he stepped in at just the right moment to stop a man named Saul from causing more murders of Christians, so Saul, and if you're familiar with um, with the New Testament, many of y'all will, will remember that Saul was a teacher of the law. He was a he was a Pharisee, and he was sort of a a rising star. He moved up the ranks at a young age, and he was um, was someone who was very passionate about people following the Jewish rules and the Jewish laws. Not only did the Jews have, have the, uh, the, the commandments and the Torah, which is the fir- first five books of the, of the Bible, but the Pharisees over the years have made these man-made guidelines that the Jewish people had to, had to follow. And so it was their job to make sure the people followed Those rules. It was really to the point to where the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had control over people. They were the rulers of the land until Jesus came and threatened their very existence, threatened their power. Jesus, Son of God, God in the flesh, came down with a new way of forgiveness of sin. A new law... And that was the law of love, the law of forgiveness, and that was believe, it upon, believe upon me and you will be saved. Totally different than what the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were, were, were all about. And so uh, Saul sought to make sure people knew that. Well, there was a time when... Uh, Uh, when Stephen, a a disciple of Jesus Christ, was talking in front of the teachers of the law because they brought him in. They were questioning him. And uh, they they were telling him, look, you're telling about this Jesus. You know, this is after Jesus died and rose again and was ascended up into heaven. And Stephen was still talking about Jesus because the church was exploding in growth and the Pharisees couldn't stop it. So they brought Stephen in, and Stephen was talking. And uh, we're going to pick up there in Acts chapter 7, verse 57. At this they, the Pharisees, cover their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul while they were stoning him Stephen prayed Lord Jesus receive my spirit then he fell on his knees and cried out Lord do not hold this against sin against him when he had said this he fell asleep he died so we see what role Saul plays in that scene and even in the next chapter Uh, Next chapter, uh, 8, verse 1 and 3. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So Saul was after believers. He was there approving of the stoning of Stephen. And so he he not only went after Christians in Jerusalem, he even was so passionate, he was like, okay, they're being scattered, they're going further outside of the city, and wherever they're going, I'm going to follow them, and I'm going to punish them. Evil man. So you see this in Acts chapter 9, the next chapter. Verse, nine, uh, verse 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, they weren't even called Christians yet, just belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So, Saul hates Christians. He's and these people that followed the way so much. He was going outside of the country of Israel, of the nation of Israel, and going to where these people are, and persecuting him, putting them to prison, and even sometimes killing them. Do you uh, do you think this is a pre crime? Yeah, he's out getting getting letters. To, uh, f- uh, from the high priest so he can go to the synagogue and find out who are these people who are registered in the synagogues and who have now turned to the way. I'm gonna find them. He was very intentional. You know, these, these people have done nothing wrong. They're just following Jesus. But Saul is about to commit a crime in the eyes of God on his way to a pre-crime God stepped in. Before this act of sin, God stepped in. In Acts chapter 9, verse 3 and 9, he says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. Now, here's what's fascinating. Here you have an evil man, Saul, who is going around persecuting Christians in Jerusalem. And then he's going outside of the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to where these Christians are. And he's very intentional about it. And God's like, all right, this, this is enough. This is enough. I've had enough of this. He I wonder, I wonder why God just didn't strike him dead. <laughs> I mean, he could have... He could have just struck Saul dead. Zap, you're dead. Over. It's enough. But instead, God decided to have grace. God decided to have grace. Have you ever done something or have you ever sort of planned something in your mind and and before that crime of sin You were able to sort of act out. You feel like God sort of stepped in and you wonder why God just didn't zap you dead or punish you greatly. It's his hand of grace. God steps in before you have a chance to commit that crime of sin. You know, Saul did have some negative outcomes of that encounter with Jesus. As it said in where we just read, Saul was blinded for three days. Couldn't see. He had to be led by other people to Damascus. He, he, was, uh, he was dependent on other people. You know, I can't help but think of our story as it relates to Saul. How many times has God stepped in on our way to a pre-crime? before we do an act of sin. He's rare, he's there ready to step in with grace. And you know, when it happens, it may not feel good or be fun when God steps in, but his actions will often save us from our own stupid ways, and that is grace. You may be sitting here thinking, again, of a time that you planned something in your mind Maybe you planned out something with some buddies, some friends of yours, and you were going to do something, and God stepped in and saved you from doing something stupid. Give me some examples. On your way to the liquor store, God may allow you to wreck your car because he knows the liquor you're about to purchase and consume mixed with the car you're driving will forever affect Your life and the life of others. Yeah, you may curse God because you wrecked your car, but he doesn't care because he just saved you with his grace. He stepped in. Or God may step in while you're on your way to a hotel room with the woman you just met. Even though your wife may never know, God sees the pre-crime. That hotel fire alarm did not go off by accident just five minutes after entering that hotel room, that alarm woke up your spirit and reminded you of the great family God has given you. You may be rude in telling the woman it's over, but who cares? You just experienced God's alarming grace. Or, and yes, God could even step into our darkest thoughts that lead us to the garage for a rope that will end it all. While climbing the ladder, God steps in with a phone call from your mom. She calls to apologize for the way she reacted earlier and tells you she loves you and she can't live this life without you. Yeah, she may never know what you try to do, but God has your number, and he knows how to get in touch with you. By the way, his number is 77 R A. Ce. You may say, these things never happen. I'm here to tell you, they happen all the time. There's lots of stories. In fact, there are times God may have stepped into your life before you had a chance to follow through with something that was going to be damaging to you or to others. And God stepped in, and you may not even, even realize it. I'm here to tell you they happen all the time, just like the story of, of Kimberly Henderson. Kimberly Henderson is a 26-year-old aspiring singer who drove herself to an abortion clinic where she prepared to end her pregnancy. In her testimony, Kimberly stated, as quoted, People remember dates for birthdays and anniversaries. Well, this date of March 17, 2015, is forever burned in my brain and my heart. It's a day that I, will nev- that I will always remember, and I will remember every single detail of that day. This South Carolina native recalled sitting in the clinic for seven hours while she cried her eyes out, internally debating whether an abortion was the best path forward. With small kids at home and a cheating boyfriend, Henderson said she was conflicted. I kept telling and giving myself every reason to go through with this, even though I did not believe in it. Henderson wrote this in her testimony, but my heart was heavy. I felt like I was about to make a horrible, horrible decision, and God was giving me signs to not do it. She recounted some of the events that unfolded that day, problems and difficulties that she believes were the result of God trying to send her a message that giving, that having the abortion wasn't what he wanted for her life. As she sat in the waiting room, she prayed for God to give her a sign that would lead her to the exit door of the office. And then something else happened. A tiny occurrence that had a major impact. Kimberly stated this in her testimony as, quote, The lady called me to the clinic's desk, It's the last step before you go back. I fumbled through my wallet to find my driver's license and out fell a card given to me by a married couple Saturday night when I was working. It had their church name on it and on the back was a common verse, that Bible verse in Isaiah chapter 41 verse 10. And it read, don't be afraid for I am with you Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you, and I will hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. It was at that moment that Kimberly Henderson said she knew God was speaking to her. She walked out of the clinic, decided to keep her baby, which she later named Vaida Everly. Her testimony about the abortion clinic visit has affected thousands of other young pregnant women. In fact, you could even watch a YouTube video of uh, of Kimberly Henderson, and it, w- and it had like six or seven million views of her singing to her baby girl. She was actually uh, a, uh, a contested a finalist on the uh, American Idol, and she's actually being, being looked at by record companies. We have a picture here of Vaida. Look at that precious girl. Does God step in? You better believe it. God steps in before we have a chance to commit whatever crime we're about to commit. Whatever sin we're about to commit. He steps in. This, this little girl and the other countless of children who God saved because they read the testimony of Kimberly Henderson is God stepping in by his grace. As we see the rest of Saul's story, the initial encounter with God stepping in to rescue Saul, yes, it had some negative effects, but God would open his eyes. God spoke to a strong believer. There were Damascus named Ananias. Ananias was praying, and, and God spoke to Ananias in a vision, saying, Ananias, Ananias. Ananias said, yes, Lord, said, I've got a job for you. I've got this address for you. I want you to look it up, and I want you to walk to this house. I want you to go to this house, because there's a man named Saul who is there, who is there right now, and he's blind, and I need you to go heal him. And Ananias, at first, was like, are you kidding me? That's Saul. The one who is giving out murderous threats to Christians. Last time I checked, God, I'm a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus. But if you say go, I will go. You can read this encounter right here in Acts chapter 9, verse 17 through 19. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus Who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul later changed his name to Paul and became the most outspoken and passionate messenger for Jesus and the Christian life. Paul brought the gospel to the world outside of Jerusalem, which was God, God's ultimate plan, and he wrote most of the New Testament. God stepped in. Using pre-crime, God stepped in, Jesus stepped in, and saved him through his grace. And by his grace, he changed world let me ask you a question is God stepping in and you're not realizing it is God stepping in into an area in your life has he been communicating with you about something you should not be doing but his signs to you are just being ignored you know if we continue to ignore his signs God is able to speak louder I personally seen seen God speak stronger to get my attention and to get the get the attention of others. When I was in high school, my my father was a truck driver, but he was also a man who wasn't following Christ. He wasn't following the Lord. And so I asked God to speak to him. And so After several months of just feeling like God's talking to him, and I kept kept inviting him to church, and he wouldn't come and everything, I asked God to speak louder, and he did. On an icy road in Colorado, his truck and trailer jackknifed, throwing him outside of the windshield, truck flipped over him. He was hospitalized for a few days. God spared his life, but God woke him up. And at that time in his life, he he went back to the Lord. And so I believe that God does speak louder if we just will continue to ignore his signs. But as, as he does speak and as he does step in by his grace, initially it may feel like it hurts just a little bit. Just like Paul experienced it does cause a little hurt. But it's better than what, than what God saved you from, what God saved Paul from. Even Paul had to face continuous hurt that he calls his thorn in the flesh. We, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says this, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, this is Paul writing, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I, Paul, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong by his power. You know, we don't know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. However, I, I have a thought and I have an opinion that I think his thorn in the flesh came in the form of, of his past, of the deaths he signed off on, and the countless Christians he threw in the jail, and the thousands of families he separated before his Damascus encounter with Jesus. This haunted him every day as he recalled the screams and the cries for mercy from those who decided to follow Jesus. So his thorn is his flesh was every day waking up and going oh dear God what did I do just he's reliving the the screams and the cries and seeing the face of Stephen lying there in the pit, in the stone pit as stones were hurled at him and blood was flowing and instead of cursing he's offering That, I believe, was Paul's thorn in the flesh of him realizing in the past what he's done. Is your thorn the fact that other people know what you were about to do? Is your thorn the damage done to others as you plotted out your pre-crime? If it is, let me tell you something. That, that is just a thorn. It's not an arrow. You know, if you had an arrow, if you had an arrow in your body, that causes continuous bleeding. And you bleed to death. But a thorn is it, like a splinter. You've had a splinter before. I hate splinters. They hurt. And I can't stand getting splinters out of my children because they can't sit still and, They're crying and everything. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what I'm doing. But splinters hurt. But they don't kill you. They just remind you. Ouch. I remember that. Paul was reminded. But he lived by grace. And he was reminded that God stepped in to his life. Offered that grace. So now he as a life, an abundant life of leading people to Jesus, to a new life of saving faith in Him. So just remember the promise in that previous verse that God's grace is sufficient for you and that His power is made perfect even on your weakest days. So as we close, let me give you a final thought about God stepping in when God steps in he takes your place now this is something I really want you to pay attention to because there are people here today who need to know this when when we read back in Acts chapter 9 verse 4 and 5 and that encounter with Saul on the ground with a bright light and Jesus talking to him It says this he fell to the ground Saul and heard a voice say to him Saul Saul why do you persecute me that is Jesus you look in the Bible those words are in red Saul Saul why do you persecute me who are you Lord Saul asked I am Jesus whom you are persecuting now if you think about this Saul was not persecuting Jesus because Jesus, Jesus was already in heaven. He was already ascended and he's sitting at the, at the right hand of God on his glorious throne. He was persecuting Christians. He was persecuting people and killing people who followed after Jesus. He wasn't he was a persecuting Jesus. But according to this, Jesus Jesus said he was Saul you're persecuting me because here's what God does when God steps in when God steps in he takes your place when you feel like in your life just like the, the adulterous woman not only does God stoop for you God takes your place God takes your place he's persecuting he's he's being persecuted and so as you think about your life and as you think about times in your life that you feel like man I'm just I'm being persecuted here Jesus is the one who's actually being persecuted and if you're sitting here thinking, you know, I've got these things that I'm doing and God's been stepping in and I've not been listening. And I've been planning these things out. And I know that I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be planning those things out. You know, as, as even as parents, Suzanne and I, we, uh, we get a chance to kind of have a pre-crime session in our own life even in our own family you know sometimes whether it be looking at one of our kids phones you know or, or, or overhearing conversations we can kind of see some of the things they may be planning and guess what would we do as parents we step in we step in with grace and before something is about to go down, we step in. Yeah, we snoop. Yeah, we look at phones. We put the whole NSA wiretapping to shame as parents. That's okay. Because we do it in love. And we say, no, this is not going down. We're stepping in. We do it because we love them. And we save them Bye our grace and our love. And that's what God does. God knows your, God has access to your phone. God has access to your internet history. God has access to your conversations. God knows what's in your heart, what's in your mind. God knows what you're, what you're planning. He's trying to step in. It, it may have a little thorn, it's not an arrow. It may have a little thorn, but it's gonna be better what the results and the outcome that's about to happen if you follow through with this, whatever that is. So I want you to respond in this way. As Logan continues to play, I want you to have a heart that is searching, searching for ways God might be stepping in to your life. So just with everybody seated just every head bowed every eye closed we're about to we're about to close this up but I, I got to give you an opportunity to respond